Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Life Radio, Chico 104.5 and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but I have been a photographer for over 30 years. And if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week, we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is A Rare Sacrifice by Dr. Ray Pritchard, who serves as the president of Keep Believing Ministries. He has ministered extensively in many countries around the world and now serves as a regular co-host on Today's Issues on the American Family Network. He has written 27 books, including Stealth Attack, Fire and Rain, The Healing Power of Forgiveness, An Anchor for the Soul, The Incredible Journey of Faith, The ABCs of Wisdom, Leadership Lessons of Jesus, Why Did This Happen to Me, and Credo, Believing in Something to Die For. Over a span of 26 years, he pastored various churches around the country and has been married to his wife Marlene for over four decades. With that, let us begin with the essay, A Rare Sacrifice. Essay actually begins, there's a scripture printed before the first sentence from Romans 5-7, which says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Then the essay begins, How many people are you willing to die for? If the chips were down, the moment came, and in a split second you had to make a decision, how many people would you be willing to lay down your life for, with no hesitation or reservation? Most of us, the list would be small indeed. Your parents, your children, your husband or wife, or perhaps one or two of your very close friends, but that's about it. As I thought about it, my list is very small. In the first place, you never know until the moment comes, and you pray never to be put in that agonizing position, but what if you were? We read the heroic stories where someone gives his life to a stranger. This week, I read a story about a mining disaster. Two men were trapped in a mine. They had two oxygen masks, but one had been broken in the collapse of the walls, one man said to the other, you take it, 
You've got a wife and children. I don't have anybody. I can go. You've got to stay. The one man voluntarily dies so the other might live. When we hear a story like that, we feel as if we're standing on holy ground. And indeed we are, for such sacrifice is rare indeed. As great as that kind of love is, which is described in Romans 5-7, God's love is much greater. God went far beyond what we or any person might do, sacrificing our life for another person. We would never think of doing what he did. The wonder of the gospel is not that Christ should die for us, though that would be wonderful enough. The wonder is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, still ungodly, still powerless, and still enemies of God. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. He died for those who crucified him. He died for those who hated him. He died for those who rejected him. He died for those who cheered as the nails were driven into his hands. We would never do anything like that. We might die for our friends, but never for our enemies. But that is what Jesus did for us. One day, when I felt lonely, I asked, Lord, how much do you love me? This much, he replied. Then he stretched out his arms, bowed his head, and died. That ends the essay, A Rare Sacrifice, by the poem, Stanley Jones. Put the cross, heart in flesh and blood, and let it be nailed to the cross for our redemption. And the cross image accompanying this essay is the Revelation, which is an image from the early days of capturing the cross. It's hard to tell because I'm shooting into the sun and the foreground is in deep shadow and silhouette. But I can tell, because I know what to look for, that there is grass all around the cross. And if you see grass around the foot of the cross in one of my cross images, you know it was shot before they broke ground on the school. The sky is full of dramatic clouds which, because of the nature of the setting sun that night, are all illuminated with a majestic golden hue, which means the whole image has a golden hue. The sun is revealing itself in the lower left-hand side of the image. The glowing golden shaft of light is horizontal in shape with the left-hand side of the shaft nearest the left-hand side of the image larger, and then it becomes thinner and thinner like a very elongated arrow or sideways triangle, getting thinner as it goes to the right, all the way to the, like the tip of a knife, and stopping right before the left-hand side of the cross, meaning the shaft appears to be pointing to the cross. Simply amazing. Now this is radio, so you really need to see this image to understand how cool the pointing shaft is. Breaking through the dramatic clouds and the majestic golden hue to really understand and appreciate what I'm trying to describe. And why the reason for the name Revelation? Well, the first scripture that comes to mind is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And of course, Jesus did not come to abolish that law, but to fulfill it. And there's a lot to unpack in what Jesus said when we read Romans 1, 16 through 21. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So three things. One, when someone comes at you negatively because of your faith, keep in mind God has revealed himself to them. So instead of reacting from a position of anger, we should have sympathy and pray for them, knowing that the reason for their angst is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they are avoiding. Two other aspects of the verse jump out to me. One that touches on or adds to Deuteronomy 29.29 when it said, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, implies that the infinite knowledge about what and who God is, only a tiny slice has been revealed or comprehended by us humans. Kind of like a visual pie chart of the entire spectrum of light in which there are huge sections for, say, gamma or alpha or x-rays. And then just next to the tiny slice of infrared, there's even a tinier and thinnest of thin slice of spectrum we call visual light. It was not until just a little over 100 years ago that we used science and devices to understand that what we felt was everything to observe about our universe was actually the smallest. And that is not even bringing up dark matter. The point is, even what God has allowed us to know about him is enough to radically change the way we look at our world and affects the way we live our lives. Manifesting in us means it becomes a part of our spiritual journey, and I contend our physical makeup, changing the trajectory of how we live our lives. The third aspect is when the verse says, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. This verse is a foundational part of my mission, my ministry, as an inspirational artist. If a picture says a thousand words, then... Through my images, I'm saying, look, look up. Look at the beauty of what God has created. Think about the one who created such beauty. But today's devotion is in regards to Ray's essay about a rare sacrifice. In this essay by Ray Pritchard, we are contemplating what some, what you, would be willing to sacrifice and for who, specifically who, might you be willing to die for. Those people you know, deep down, that in a split second if the situation arose, would you be willing to give up your life in order for that person to live? Hmm. Ponder that for a moment. Now, the Bible is replete with examples of sacrifices. One of the first is hundreds of years that Noah sacrificed building the ark. Those hundreds of years he sacrificed to save his wife and three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their wives let alone to save every species on the earth. But that was a sacrifice of time, or actually time and materials. 
Then there is a story of the sacrifice of the patriarch of the Hebrew people, but also the Jewish and Christian faiths. Imagine his surprise when God asked Abraham. Without question, Abraham got up to do precisely what the Lord had called him to do. Once Abraham was about to sacrifice his son with his knife up in the upward trajectory, about to thrust the knife down into his only son, the angel called out to him to stop. God then provided a ram in the bushes for him to sacrifice instead of his son. Although Abraham did not end up having to sacrifice his son, he was willing to. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his blessing to be obedient to the one who blessed him in the first place. He was willing to give up on all the dreams, plans, and hopes he had for the future because he had faith there was nothing he could give up for God that God could not restore. Most of you listening recall that Moses was raised in the lap of luxury inside the very house of the Pharaoh of Egypt, and yet, upon learning of his Hebrew heritage, began to see his world differently. One aspect that had changed over 400 years since Joseph was second in command of Egypt was that the Hebrews had become slaves to the Egyptians. And one day, in the heat of the moment, Moses fought and caused the death of an Egyptian taskmaster who was in the act of beating a Hebrew slave. In that moment, Moses sacrificed his freedom and life of luxury and sped out as a fugitive into the farthest regions of the wilderness. He lived as a shepherd for the next 40 years. It may not have been luxurious, but it sounds like it was a simple life of peace. When God came to Moses in the burning bush, asking Moses to go back to Egypt and to allow God to use him to free the Hebrew people, Moses initially refused. You would think Moses would want to help his people, but no. Moses continued to come up with as many excuses as he could think of. And God seemed to knock down every excuse. And yet, Moses continued to refuse God's request. Who knows exactly what the real reason was that Moses hesitated? Maybe he just wanted to live out his days in the peace and quiet of a shepherd lifestyle. Maybe he had an intuition of how rough and tough freeing and then leading the Hebrew people would be. Obviously, God was being patient, but also persistent until Moses eventually sacrificed his excuses for obedience to God's calling. As we learn in the story of King Saul and David, who I elaborate on later in this devotion, God tells us that obedience is greater than sacrifice. In the story of Moses going back to Egypt, he did both. He sacrificed his life of peace for the turmoil of leading the contentious Hebrew people. Then there's the story of the donkey that sacrificed not only its peace of mind, but was willing to endure physical and emotional abuse to protect the human who was oppressing him. It has to do with the fascinating story of King Balak of Midian and his failed attempts to curse the Jewish people through a powerful sorcerer named Balaam. Numbers 22. However, after accepting the mercenary assignment, God told Balaam in dreams not to curse the Jewish people. He informed Balak that he could not curse the Hebrews, but after several back and forth and increased payments, I guess, it proved persistent and persuasive. Finally, Balaam left 
towards the Hebrews. He woke up early in the morning and excitedly saddled his own donkey, uh, which he normally has his uh, helpers to do, and set off with Balak's emissaries. God was angry at Balaam for going and sent a sword-wielding angel to block his path, an angel that Balaam could not see. But the donkey saw the angel on the road with his sword drawn, so he turned aside into a field. Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on the road. Then the angel stood in the path of the vineyards with a wall on both sides. The donkey saw the angel and pressed against the wall to squeeze past the angel, crushing Balaam's leg, and he beat her again. Then the angel stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn. The donkey saw the angel, and it crouched down under Balaam in fear. Balaam felt humiliated with the emissaries looking on by the, by the donkey's disobedience, and he angrily beat her a third time. The seemingly stubborn donkey quit moving forward because she could see the danger that Balaam couldn't. She was willing to sacrifice her well-being to do the right thing. Not just once, but after two previous beatings. She had no idea the role she played in God's plans, but was willing to sacrifice her master's approval and acceptance to save his life. The verses record how, after being thoroughly humiliated by his talking donkey, Balaam, the the non-Jewish sorcerer and prophet commissioned by Balak, king of Moab, to curse the Jews but found himself incapable of cursing them. Instead, he bestowed on the Jews four tremendous blessings, some of which are recited in Jewish prayers today, and the fourth of which foretells the Messianic redemption. A side lesson to learn from this story is that when someone curses you in one of many ways, do not stress. God can turn it into a blessing. Then there's a woman of the Bible named Ruth who sacrificed her future and safety for the sake of loyalty. Ruth had lived through the death of her husband and father-in-law. Ruth's mother-in-law pleaded with her to go back to her homeland. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, reasoned that she would have a much better chance of finding a husband if she left, offering a better guarantee of safety and protection. Ruth's sister-in-law went home, but Ruth decided to stay with Naomi. Now, this Scripture may not be understood by some because you would think, oh, she just she doesn't need to go find a husband. She should get a job. But then you're admitting your lack of knowledge on the culture of that day, which is without a husband, you were very destitute. So having a husband meant security and financial safety for yourself. Well, like I said, Ruth decided to stay. And in the book of Ruth 16 through 18, Ruth says to Naomi, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Wow. And when Naomi heard this and that she was not determined to go, she said no more about the matter. But the point is, Ruth sacrificed the safety of a possible future to stay by Naomi's side. She was willing to sacrifice that hope of a future relationship with her husband in her home region to honor the relationship she had with Naomi. Eventually, Ruth would marry Naomi's family member, Boaz, and bear his child, who would then be in the lineage of Jesus. 
In the end, Ruth received everything she was willing to sacrifice. We can't forget the story of Gideon in Judges 6-8, to which is a, a particularly good example of how faith and sacrifice are related to one another. It is re- worth remembering that Gideon lived in an idolatrous town, and he was a low-status member of his clan. And sure, the enemies of Israel were making things hard for everyone, but rallying the Israelites to renounce their devotion to Canaanite deities and to fight their enemies could have cost Gideon everything, his wealth, his standing in his community, and even his life. I like the honesty in how Gideon responds when he is greeted by God's messenger. He said, Pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now it seems the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, it's easy for some to look down on Gideon for how he responded, but I think about the situation from his perspective. He grew up hearing stories about God's mighty deeds and about God's care for the people of Israel. But his lived experience shows little evidence of God's involvement or his power. War and starvation killed the Israelites by the thousands. People in his own family had died at the hand of the Midianites. And now he's supposed to put his own neck on the line in order to defy Israel's enemies and rid the land of idolatry? Perhaps this is why God is so patient with Gideon. Over and over again, God allows Gideon to test him. On one occasion, God even provides Gideon with encouragement before he expresses his fears. Judges 7, 10 through 14. God called Gideon to participate in his work, and God knew that Gideon would not take the risk of doing so unless he was assured that God would be with him. And he did. He placed his life in danger to obey God's calling. There's also a story I like of Rahab, a prostitute living in the city of Jericho, a city that the Jews had encamped around seeking how to take the city. And Rahab risked her life to save the lives of two Hebrew spies that were in the city. She, on her own, like Abraham growing up in the land of Ur, developed a relationship with God, Jehovah, and had faith that God's people would be victorious over the city-state of Jericho. It is interesting to me how the ruling religious leaders of the day, in Jesus' day, criticized Jesus for fraternizing with prostitutes and sinners. It seems to me that God has a plan for every one of us if we are open to it and obedient to obey it and to develop a relationship with God. And of course, we can't disregard the lesson of the preordained David. During a time when King Saul was chasing David through the multiple wildernesses in order to kill him, at one point David had the perfect opportunity to assassinate King Saul in his sleep. Yet, David sacrificed the ability to stop someone dedicating to killing him in order to do the moral and ethical right thing in both the eyes of God and man. Then there is Mary, mother of Jesus. Some might miss the sacrifice she made, at least in the greater sense. And in some sense, I did too. I mean, yes, I know it was a scandal to be an unwed mother in that culture. Less than one generation ago, it was in this country as well. Mary was a young woman ready to get married to Joseph. Her life was all planned out until she was greeted by an angel to inform her that she would birth 
the Messiah, her people, had long awaited for. Mary wasn't sure how it would happen, but she had to have known that this birth would change everything. She was willing to sacrifice her plans, convenience, and even reputation. Just imagine what others thought of her for becoming pregnant before she was married to Joseph. Even Joseph was going to call off the marriage until an angel came to him in a dream. Now the reason I said I almost missed or never perceived the totality of her sacrifice was because I saw a movie last Christmas season that provided a new paradigm for me. It was a contemporary movie. I mean, I think they made it in 2020 or at least 2019. It was a British-made movie about Mary. And there is a scene in the movie where the women of the town, noticing her pregnant form, picked up stones and began the process of stoning her. If, not, if it had not been for her mother whisking her away, she, she could have been killed by the town mob that day. Fortunately, that did not happen. and God used Mary's willingness to sacrifice her life to bring salvation to the world. We, we get the sense that in the theme of this essay, sacrifice is an essential element of discipleship. All of these examples I spoke of today and many, many more stories of sacrifice in the Bible, even if they were all combined and then doubled, and then even squared, would not come anywhere near the sacrifice Jesus led on the cross. And Jesus is quite clear that we are to give up our lives if we're going to find the life that he has for us. Mark 8.35 Jesus didn't just come up with this idea off the top of his head. It is interwoven into the fabric of the ancient Hebrew faith and into the fabric of the New Testament itself. Only recently have I come to understand that there is in the spiritual experience of most people, a prerequisite to sacrifice. People will not make the sacrifices that they need to in order to follow Jesus. Like Gideon did at first, they do not believe that God is at work in their lives or in the world. The connection between our confidence that God is at work in our lives and our willingness to sacrifice for Him may not be immediately apparent, but I think that it will become so as we reflect on Scripture and through prayer and meditation reflect on our experience in life. Why should we follow Jesus to the cross? We need to know the answer, not just for ourselves, but for those friends and family that will ask, don't we have enough trouble already? Why should we lay down our lives for God and for our fellow human beings? Will our sacrifice accomplish anything? When we work through questions like these, we are really asking whether we truly trust God. Most of us confront the hard truth that Christians who get injured in car crashes, die of cancer, heart attacks, they experience divorce, lose children, starve, or are the victims of injustice and even up to martyrdom. At the same time, like Job, we must find a way to affirm that God is good in any scenario, in any situation, and that God is active in the world, and that God is active in our lives, and that God keeps his promises. Without it, then our faith will not result in the kind of sacrifice that Jesus requires of us. Human nature will lead us to conclude that the pain isn't worth the gain. If, however, we can understand our journey in light of God's goodness and love, and if we are living out his destiny, fulfilling his will in our life, we will become more likely to make the sacrifices required of us. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? If not, I suggest you meditate on the paradigm of the cross. Why? 
Because it provides the faith needed to endure every trial and every sacrifice and to sacrifice whatever for the kingdom of God. Knowing that the truth of the gospel is that the worst case result of any scenario is the best case outcome for us, God's children, if we're living according to his will. So go and live in that perspective today. If you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts of the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, a devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view this image discussed, like this week's essay, The Revelation, along with other versepirations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn about how to fundraise through Magi Cross products, hear other cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S dot com.